0: Today's Bible reading is from John chapter 13, verse 31 to 14. Verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. But this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son." You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it.
1: In Luke chapter eight, in Luke chapter eight, in the parable of the sower, as Jesus speaks about the different seeds, it says this of the good soil: uh, the seed on the good soil stands with those uh, stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Let's pray that that would be us this morning. Father, we give you our great thanks for this uh, parable that Jesus gave. We pray that as we hear your word now, uh, as we hear it taught, that you would help us not only just hear it, but that we would retain it uh, and persevere, that we would demonstrate our noble and, and good hearts as we seek to live for you. Father, do grow us as disciples of Christ this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jack Bauer was all the rage in the early 2000s. Uh, Jack was an American counter-terrorist agent in the hit TV show 24. Jack Bauer, he sought to protect America from American terrorist plots. And the show was so popular, and went for nine seasons. I was so surprised this week, nine seasons End the movie. End the movie. Anyway, what was really unique about this TV show was that it was based on a 24-hour period; hence, 24. There were 24 episodes, each one hour long. And so, what we got was a minute-by-minute, blow-by-blow account of whatever was kind of happening. You'd even have this like really cool bit where the screen would split in two, and you'd see two things happening exactly the same. Amazing. Anyway. We seem to love that at that time. Nine seasons. We seem to love that minute-by-minute, blow-by-blow account of Jack Bauer. Well, in John's Gospel, uh, which we're continuing to look at this term as a church, we've entered the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus. And things really start to slow down. And it's like we've entered our own season of 24 with a blow-by-blow account. Because you see, in the, in the book of uh, John, the first 12 chapters, chapters 1 to 11, there, there's lots of narrative. And that, those first 12 chapters, well, that lasts for three years. But then the next seven chapters, from 13 to 19, just seven chapters, that actually focuses on a 24-hour period. And so things really, really slow down for us. And it really focuses on a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples in the upper room as he's on his final night before his glorious death. And what we get is a fly-on-the-wall view of the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples as he prepares them for his upcoming death and his departure That is his imminent, impending, his fast-approaching death within hours. And as we look at the start of our passage, if you want to get your your Bibles open and have a look there at verse 31, it says there, when he was gone. You see, just before this, at the start of chapter 13, we saw last week that Jesus, he has washed his disciples' feet. He then has a a meal with them, and, and during this meal we discover that Jesus is aware, he knows that he's about to be betrayed. He, he's, he's not surprised. It doesn't come out of the blue. He knows full well that he's about to be betrayed. In fact, he knows who will betray him. And so we see in chapter thirteen twenty-seven that Jesus sends off Judas. He sends him and says, do what you need to do. You see, Jesus sets the wheels in motion for his betrayal and death. And so when he, in verse 31, that is, when Judas has gone, as he's gone out to betray Jesus, at that moment Jesus says, have a look there again, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. As we've returned back into John's gospel, what we've seen again and again is God's glory, 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 again coming up again and again. And as Judas leaves to betray Jesus to death, as Jesus heads to the cross to die an awful, grueling death, it is to his glory. See, the cross is glorious. See, see, God's glory is his splendor, his glory. Magnificence. He's, he's he's, and it, what it does is it reveals his goodness to us. And so as Jesus hangs on that cross, dies that awful death in our place, that is to God's glory. God is glorified. Jesus is glorified in that. And so as Jesus, his death is imminent, it's on the doorstep, it's about to happen, it is now as it's described there. As he dies there, it will bring glory to both God. And the Son, and see his glorifying death will mean that he has to leave. He will need to depart from his disciples, but he will be leaving them in glory. And so he says to them in verse thirty three that he's only there for a little while longer. That is, it's only a few hours left. It's that close. And the disciples, they they can't follow. Also, verse thirty three. And so what Jesus wants to do, he wants to prepare them. Jesus, he's leaving them, and so he wants to prepare them. He wants to give them expectations that he has of them as he departs. So have a look there at verse 34. Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another as Jesus is about to depart from them, he wants them to love one another. They are to love as he has loved them, as Jesus has loved them, they are to love one another. And he's shown that, like we saw last week. He He got down like as the servant and washed their feet. He served them and he told them to do likewise. But ultimately he shows us in his death as he dies that glorious death on the cross in our place to to save and rescue us. He he does that in his love. What greater love is there than this? And while love in our world today is quite confusing, isn't it? I think we get to be confused when it comes to love. It seems we, we love trivial things like the friend we just met, oh, I love you so much, or, look, I really like this and so I'm good, but fur, you know, how good's fur? But We, we love, we love food. But see, whilst there's this emotional attachment to, to, to love, and, and there is, actually, love is so much more. You see, love is expressed in action, in self-sacrifice, uh, in service, and in obedience. You see, love is seen and played out in self-sacrifice. We saw it uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, in uh, John chapter 12. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There is to be self-sacrifice in love, as Jesus' death demonstrates for us. But see, love is also seen in our service of one another. Jesus loved the disciples by washing their feet. He served the disciples. And just past our passage in chapter 14, verse 15, you can have a look there, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see, love is also seen in obedience to to Jesus. And so love is seen in each other, as in our self-sacrifice, in our service of one another, in an obedience. It is so much more than how we may feel at a particular moment. But you see, there's also an evangelistic uh, appeal to this as well. As the world notices our love for each other expressed in these ways, it really demonstrates God's love for us. And so that gives us an opportunity to speak, to to speak of of Christ and, and his wonder and goodness that, that, that is our motivation, to love each other. Despite our differences, despite the many things that might divide us, actually, we love one another because of his love for us and that gives us opportunities to speak to the world around us who act so very differently. Jesus is preparing his disciples as he's about to depart from them and he wants them in his absence to be characterized by love. I really like um, uh, gifs or gifs or however you meant to say that word. Uh, but I reckon this one, this one here really sums up Peter's reaction. Is there a slide there? I reckon this one really sums up Peter's reaction at this particular moment. I'm sorry. What did you say? See, Jesus says he's about to depart. And then he moves on and tells them, hey, how they can live. Hey, Mac, do you want to find the B button? Do you want to press the B button? Press B. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> They're departing. They're, Jesus says he's about to depart, and then he moves on to tell them to love each other. But then the penny drops for Peter. He's like, hang on a tick. Hang on. Did you just say you're going somewhere, Jesus? He, he kind of goes back. Have a look there at verse 36. So Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now. But you will follow later. Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. You see, Peter here asks Jesus a couple of questions. Where are you going? And why can't I follow you now? And Jesus explains, actually, you'll follow me later. And what Peter does, he kind of makes this, kind of this proud, pious, devout remark. He says, Oh no, Jesus, I will follow you. I will even lay down my life for you. What he's saying is, Jesus, I will die for you. And see, Peter's kind of acting like a bit of a hero here. Look, Jesus, you, no, don't, I'll die for you. But see, the problem is, instead of humbly, gratefully receiving the, the, the fruit of Jesus' death on his behalf, Peter's saying, no, 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 I'll save you, Jesus. I'll save you, Peter says. But you see, as we've seen again and again, the disciples just don't understand. Again and again they've shown, they they haven't really understood what Jesus is on about. And the reality is they won't until Jesus is, is raised in glory from death to life and as Jesus sends his Holy Spirit, they still will not understand. And yet while Peter claims heroics and says, oh, look, I'll lay down my life, Jesus tells him exactly what will happen. Have a look there at verse 38. Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you, Peter, will disown me three times. While Peter protests, he's told the shocking news. He will disown, deny, reject Jesus three times. And while Peter's the one who speaks here, I'm sure he really is speaking on behalf of all the disciples, that they are all struggling with this idea of Jesus departing. And so Jesus tells them there in verse 1, Have a look there. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Here they are troubled by the fact that Jesus is about to leave. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Don't be troubled, Jesus says. And that word troubled is the same word that's been used twice already in chapter, I think there is a slide here for these two verses, in chapter 12 and chapter 13, twice. Jesus is troubled. Jesus is troubled by his upcoming death. He's aware of what's about to happen. He's aware that he's about to face God's wrath, the the awfulness of, of what will happen as he hangs on that cross. He's troubled by the reality of that. And yet here the same word is mentioned of the disciples. The disciples are troubled. And here's Jesus, the one who is going to go through an awful experience for the good of us. Here he is comforting his disciples. As he is the man who is troubled by what's about to happen, he comforts his disciples who are troubled and confused by Jesus' departure and death. And as he comforts them, he commands them. It's an imperative there in verse, uh, in verse 1. Believe God. Trust God. Trust also in me. You see, trust him that even though he's about to depart, he will one day, he promises to come back and take them with him. Have a look there from verse 2. My father's house has many rooms. <clears throat> if that were not so would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. You see, Jesus is about to depart from them, and he's going to go to his father's house. That is, he is going to heaven. And he's got to go. He must go so that he can prepare the way for them to follow. He must go, otherwise we can't follow later. You see, the way to heaven is only opened if he departs first. If he does not go first, the way will not be opened. He must go first to prepare the way. I don't know if you've done much uh, rock climbing, but particularly outdoor rock climbing, what you need, with particularly outdoors, you need a really confident, a really capable climber who will be what they call the lead climber. Uh, that person will scale the wall first, attaching the rope up, up, up the rock face so that other people less confident can kind of go later. But it's actually quite dangerous to be that that lead climber because as they're going from one anchor point up to the next anchor point, the rope might be connected here, but as they're climbing up this next kind of part to the next one, if they kind of slip and fall, actually they could kind of fall a, a big distance down. And so the lead climber is is, that's why they need to be confident, confident lead climbers, that they prepare the way for, the others not as confident to kind of climb up behind that the rope is already set in place. Someone can belay them from behind that if they fall, will they only fall a small distance? You see, the lead climber is really important because they prepare the way for others to follow. And as Jesus departs from earth to his glorious death in the cross, he does so to prepare the way for us to come afterwards. He prepares a place for us in heaven. He must go, because if he does not go, we cannot follow afterwards. You see, John's gospel has been pointing to Jesus' death from the very, very start. He has been heading to the glorious cross since the beginning, because it is how God can save a people for himself, that they, that we, can find forgiveness We saw in John chapter 10 that Jesus, he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the good of his sheep. And only he as the good shepherd can lay down his life for the good of his sheep. Even though Peter offered to lay down his life, he cannot. It is only Jesus who can lay down his life. And that is because Jesus is very different from any one of us. The only reason he can lay down his life and die for for others is that he is the only one without sin. He is the only one without sin. We are all guilty. We all stand condemned for our treatment of God. In our willful disobedience or in our ignorant rejection of him as our maker, our sustainer, our judge... And while we all stand rightly condemned, not so Jesus. He always lived perfectly. He always obeyed the Father. He always lived and did God's will, even to the point of death. And so sin needs to be punished. You see, God is a righteous God. He can't let sin go unpunished. How, how bad do we feel when we see guilty people get away, scot-free? We feel terrible. No, no, no. God is a just God and he can't leave sin go unpunished and so he must deal with sin. Sin must be punished. But you see, instead of us copying it, uh, which we deserve, Jesus is said in our place to die our death in our place that we could find forgiveness. We deserve God's judgment. We deserve God's punishment. But Jesus takes that place that for us who believe in him would find forgiveness and be part of his family and head to the place where Jesus prepares for us. And while Jesus is the only one who could die in our place, you see, he does not stay dead. He raises to life, and he opens the way to heaven for us. You see, the cross, his death is essential, because without it we're still dead, we're still lost in our sin, and have no access to God. But because of Christ and his death and the cross... That is reversed, and we can have access to God. But you see, Jesus must depart. He must depart first, despite the disciples' concerns, because if he doesn't go, there is no access to God. You see, Jesus departs to prepare the way for us to follow later. And yet, the disciples—they don't get it. Again and again, they show us they don't get it. So have a look there at verse. Five, where Thomas shows us uh, his concerns. Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Thomas, he wants directions. He wants directions to the way. How, how How do we know the way, he asks. And you see, his question here really highlights that they really don't understand Jesus. They haven't grasped what it is that Jesus has been doing and what he has been saying. And so Jesus is clear as day. What is the way? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus says, he is the way to the Father in heaven. See, Jesus is the way to God because he's the way of salvation. As we saw earlier in John chapter 12, he said, When I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. You see, Jesus in his death will be lifted up in glory in the, on the cross and because of that he has opened up the way for us in heaven that all people will be drawn to him. He dies in glory, raised to life. And because of that, all people will be drawn to him because he is the way to God the Father in heaven. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way and the truth. You see, he is the truth because he reveals God. He is God's revelation. We saw in John chapter one that he is the word become flesh. He is God's gracious and self-disclosure to humanity. As we see Jesus, we see the Son. He's the truth revealed. You see, all that Jesus does and says, he does in the light of what the Father has directed. The words he speaks are the Father's words. His works are the Father's works. And all that he says of the Father is true. He is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You see, Jesus had life in himself, John 5. He is the resurrection and the life, John chapter 11. And in John 3, he says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. You see, Jesus offers life. In him we find life, eternal life. He is the source of life. And so for us today, to know the Father and to know the life that he offers, we must come through Jesus because he is the way whose truth is revealed, who offers eternal life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Just a quick point about uh, the final section there in verse 6. It says, No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus makes in this statement an exclusive statement. He says, I am the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only way to salvation for the forgiveness of sins. We must have a personal encounter with Jesus if we are to be saved by God. And so it doesn't matter how religious someone might be, how good or helpful they may be to others. Unless someone knows Jesus, there is no other way to God. And so always, every way does not lead to God. All ways will not be right in the end, despite the common uh, thought among uh, society today. Jesus dismisses that idea here. All ways do not lead to God. He alone, Jesus alone, is the only way to God the Father. He alone came from God to speak his truth. He alone offers eternal life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But again, the disciples, they're confused. They seem to not quite understand. And so this time Philip asks in verse 8, "'Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us.'" See, Philip, like many before him and and many people afterwards, many, many people still today seeking to see the Father and then they will believe. You see, Philip is wanting a sneak peek at God the Father. He wants a unique vision of God in the heavens and then that would be his proof. And then he would believe his existence. But this is just such a shallow understanding uh, of he seems to have. It's a shallow understanding because again and again in in John's Gospel, as we've kind of seen, and he he says it again here in verse 9. Have a look there. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? You see, they have spent three years with Jesus. And in his final hours before his departure and death, the disciples don't get it. The disciples are really loyal to Jesus. They've been so loyal to Jesus and following Jesus. But they show here that they are spiritually blind. They are spiritually blind because again and again Jesus has said, if you see me, you see the Father. The Father and I are one. Jesus has been sent by the Father to do his will. But they don't get it. And so Jesus urges them in verse 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. And while the words of Jesus might be really difficult to understand and comprehend, Jesus said, at least believe on the evidence of the works, the miraculous signs. You've seen me do these amazing signs. Believe the signs and what they're pointing to. Believe the signs and their explanation. Because they show that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. They show that we are one. I don't know if you're much of a YouTuber, you like to have a look around and watch different videos, but I watched this video the other day where Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, dresses up, one of the world's greatest soccer players. He dresses up as a homeless guy. Here he is. And what he does, he goes into a local mall and, um, in his disguise, homeless guy, and he kind of shows off his skills and no one pays any attention to him is just some homeless guy who's kicking a football or a soccer ball around in a busy street. And while one kid plays with him for quite a while and has a good little play, and he has a bit of back and forth kind of stuff, after a little while, uh, this homeless guy, he picks up the ball, he pulls out a texter and asks the kid for his name and then he signs it. And then he gives the ball to the kit, and then reveals himself and he takes off all his disguise and is like, whoa, this is who it is, whoa, the great unveiling. And And as the mask's off, as the disguise is off, the masses, the crowds come out and flock to him. And for those who might have been watching, who was probably no one, not many people were watching him, it was like they finally can match the skills of this guy with, with who this is. They can finally match their understanding with what they've seen because the skills that were on display belong to one of the best football players in the world. And as Jesus speaks to his disciples to believe in light of the works he has done, you see, those works were to reveal that he has been sent by the Father. That as you see him, you see the Father. That the Father has been at work within him. But you see, the disciples are in the dark. They really are in the dark because they do not understand. Despite the time they've had, they are confused. But you see, the truth is, they need God's Spirit. They need that we need the Holy Spirit to truly. Understand. And that is where John's gospel is going next. Over the next couple of weeks, we will see the role of the Spirit uh, within our lives, but that is to come. That is to come. <clears throat> but at this particular point, the disciples are urged, urged to believe that they have seen Jesus. Having seen Jesus, they have seen the Father. To see the Father is to see. To see the Son is to see the Father and that Jesus is the one who has gone to open up the way. He is the way to the Father, because he reveals the truth and offers eternal life. And so the question for us this morning is, where do we stand with Jesus? Have we come to him as the only way to the Father? Have we come to accept that the cross, the gruelling, awful cross, is actually to God's glory and it is through the cross that it opens up the way to the Father. Because it is not based on our good works. It is not based on our family connections. It's not based that we may have been to church for a really long time. No, 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 no. The way has been opened to us, through to the Father, through the cross, through Jesus. He is the way. Jesus has prepared that way that we would trust in him. And so is that you this morning? I pray that it is. And if it is, let's give thanks to the Father who has opened up the way to heaven for us through Jesus, through the humiliating, awful cross, but is to his glory. And so let us live how the Father wants us to live, how Jesus wants us to live in his his absence, that is to love one another as we await his return. When he will bring us to the place he has prepared for us to be with him. And so let's let's pray. Pray together. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus. We are so thankful that He has opened up the way uh, that we can find forgiveness in that we can find forgiveness of our rebellion and, and sin. That He has made it possible for us to head to heaven because of his wonderful work. We are so thankful for the way that you have revealed him as the way, the truth, and the life, the one who does offer eternal life. Father, we do pray that we would so hold on to this truth and live out in this truth, and we would demonstrate it in our love for one another. Father, please help us do that, we pray, that you may be honoured and glorified through us. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.